Well, good to see you all today, and uh, we do have a different feel in the room, as Pastor Brent said, and you know, um, it's uh, fun to see progress, but sometimes it's painful in the process. So um, we're grateful that you're here today. Thank you so much. I just finished on Friday, I finished uh, jury duty after three weeks. Um, it was a long journey. I didn't, didn't really expect to be picked for a jury, but I sat on a trial, a criminal trial for attempted murder, and um, sat through three weeks of, um, of witnesses and evidence and all that kind of stuff. And then on Wednesday, uh, they gave us the uh, instructions to the jury to go back into a jury room and to decide the fate of a man. Could I just tell you that's a humbling experience? Um, and um, we sat with my fellow jurors. We were all very diverse. And the first thing you have to do is pick a foreman or a foreperson to uh, lead the jury. Well, guess who got chosen? I did. <laughs> and um, they all kind of said, well, how about you do it? And I was like, well, if you really want me to, I guess I'll do it. So, But then to try to keep 12 people on task for over two days of uh, debate and looking at um, various testimony and to keep the discussion going in the right direction and not kill each other. Voices got raised and emotions got hot. There was a few times we had to take a break because people were getting a little too um, wound up. And, um, but before we started, I, sa I sat with my fellow jurors and I said to them, I said, do you mind if we pray together? And uh, I didn't know what kind of response I was going to get from that. But uh, nobody objected, so I prayed that the Lord would give us humility, wisdom, and discernment, and guidance as we deliberated over the evidence and came to a conclusion. You got to come to a, you got to be all together in that. You know that? In our country, you, one juror can keep a verdict from being from, from really happening. And uh, so you had to have complete, un, un, you know, unity. And I thought to myself, there's probably no place in America other than the jury room that happens. <laughs> I mean, you have to have complete unity. There cannot even be one that would go in a different direction. And so there were five counts that were given in that trial um, from the prosecutor. And that person that was on trial was found guilty for just one. So there were four not guilties and one guilty. And um, so, but as we concluded that trial, I prayed for the man who was found guilty. And I realized that, you know what? By the grace of God, it could be any of us. And um, so I'm grateful for his love and his grace. Today we're in the book of Exodus and we're talking today about a very, very common subject that you probably know a lot about, excuses. Anybody here good at making excuses? Has anybody here made an excuse in their life? I mean, we all have, haven't we? I mean, if you're human, you make excuses, you know? And um, I came across a few, uh, a few just fun things. I mean, uh, I came across, what is it? I got, I got so many things here. I should have kind of put them in order, but that's, 
Um, that's way too many pages there. Um, here's uh, 13 reasons why people miss church. You want to hear them? I thought they were kind of interesting. Um, the first one was, you're a Baptist and really hung over from last night. <laughs> you might be a Nazarene, I don't know. <laughs> you listened to some worship music this morning and that pretty much counts as church. Some weird visitor was sitting in your pew last week and you decided you didn't want that awkward feeling next week. Your church started off gluten-free communion options and now they're doing some woke stuff. You got a big argument with your spouse this morning, you're still mad. Some of you got a big argument with your kids this morning, you're still mad. <laughs> you got, how about this one? Um, COVID is still happening. I didn't make these up, by the way. This is, by the way, this comes from, just so you know the source, Babylon B. <laughs> it's probably not a really good source. Uh, the greeters, they're all introverted and nobody greets me at the door. Uh, you must like, you, must, you, you just like, don't feel like you're getting, what? I should read these before I read them out loud. <laughs> You need to find socks and shoes for all the kids to wear before you can get to the service in time. The worship leader keeps singing the song you hate. Whatever it might be, there's a lot of excuses why. Hey, let's read the word to God together, right? Take your Bibles, Exodus chapter 3, starting at verse number 1. And let's read, we're going to look at passages of scripture through three and four, but let's just read a little section of chapter three together. Stand with me together as we read God's word. Exodus three, starting at verse one. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in the flames of fire with, with, within a bush. And Moses saw that the bush was burning and on fire and it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I'll go over there and see this strange thing. Why is the bush not burning up? <coughs> Excuse me. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look at it, God called out, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here am I. Here am I. Do not come any closer. Take off your sandals for the place where you're standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And at this Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people, Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers and I'm concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians, to bring them up out of the land into the good and spacious and land flowing with milk and honey, the home of all the ites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out? And God said, I'll be with you. And there will be a sign to you that I, that I am the one who sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God in this mountain. But, God, but Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and the God of the fathers has sent me. And they asked, what is his name? Then what shall I say? And God said, I am who I am. 
This is what you're to say to the Israelites. I am sent you. God said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name by which I am to be remembered from generation to generation. God, speak to us today, I pray, and help us in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. We've been talking in this series, last week we began, we're talking about this journey to freedom, and um, if there's a... If there's uh, one area that really keeps people from getting true freedom in their life, to overcoming the darkness, the bondage, um, the, 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 the perpetual sin that is in their life, is excuses. We can make excuses for ourselves so easily. And there's a lot of reasons for excuses. Sometimes we make excuses because it's the easiest thing to do. We've always made those excuses. We've all, we're very familiar with our ways. We're very familiar with our, with our regular routines in life. We're, we're, we're familiar with the way that we do things. And it's hard to do things new. The older you get, the harder it is. I have discovered that I am a routine person. I get up the same time, I have the same coffee, the same breakfast, I go to the office, I do the same thing every single day, just about. And the older I get, the more that's all I want to do. Anything that breaks my routine or what is familiar to me, I have an excuse not to do it. There's sometimes that we make excuses because, because it's easier to make an excuse than it is to change. We got a whole lot of reasons why we shouldn't do certain things. And here in the book of Exodus, we find that God is speaking to one man, a man that was sent on a mission who didn't want to go on a mission. His name was Moses. And Moses had all kinds of excuses. We find that here in the book of Exodus chapter 3 that he is, um, he is, he is about 40 years old at this point. If you look at the life of Moses, you can divide it up into three periods. The first 40 years, the middle 40 years, and the last 40 years. The first 40 years is the 40 years that he was born in, in, in Egypt. And he was, he was raised by an Egyptian. You can read the story about that in chapter 2. The miraculous story of how God preserved his life. As his mom put him in a basket and floated him down a river. And how there was an Egyptian woman who found that, that baby and raised the baby as her own. Even though this baby was a Hebrew. And the, and the scripture tells us in chapter 1 that the Pharaoh had said, kill all the boys. God preserved his life. And as, as, as Moses grew up, he began to identify that he was more connected to the slaves than he was to the Egyptians. He was connected to them because he was a Hebrew. And he finds himself wanting to defend the Hebrews. And he finds himself defending the Hebrews in such a way that he ends up killing one of his fellow Egyptians. And then the word gets out and he flees for his life to a place called Midian. And here's where we find our story picking up in, in, um, in, in Exodus chapter 3. We find that, that, that God is going to reveal himself and is going to set the nation of Israel free from their bondage. 
He is going to set them free from their bondage and he's going to use Moses to do it. But Moses doesn't know that yet. Moses is not aware that God has a call on his life. God has a mission for them. God has a purpose in his life. So let's pick up the story at the very end of chapter 2. In the very end of chapter 2, in verses 23 through 25, here's what the Bible says. During that long period, the king of Egypt died. You'll notice there in chapter 1, the scripture says that a new king had come to power. A king that had not known Joseph. You remember the, going back to, the, to last week's sermon, had not known Joseph. And he had come to power and he begins to enslave the nation of Israel. They were getting popular. They were becoming stronger and stronger. Their, their, their population was exploding. And he was trying to do everything he can to, to control the population. And as that population grew and grew and grew, they became, they were oppressed more and more. They were put into slave labor. And the scripture says during that long period, the king of Egypt died. And then it says the Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out. And their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. And God heard the groaning and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And God looked at on the Israelites and was concerned about them. In other words, God heard the cries of his people. Could I just want to say this again? I said this last week, but I want to say it again. God always identifies with the oppressed. He always finds connection with those who are on the margins of life, who don't have opportunities and who are pushed down because of whatever it is that the other human beings are pushing them down. It could be economic slavery. It could be social slavery. It could be spiritual slavery. Whatever your need is of darkness in your life, God says, I will hear the cries of my people. And I'm so glad that God heard the cry of humankind. And what did God do? He came down with his son, Jesus Christ. He came down with his son, Jesus Christ. But here in the scripture, it says, for this time period, while they're in Egypt, the nation of Israel, the Hebrew people, the people that God had called out through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that he had made a covenant relationship with, they were crying out to almighty God, help us. Help us, help us. And guess what God does when we cry out? He hears us. He hears us and he's concerned. And the scripture says he was concerned about them. So what does God do when he's concerned? What does God could do when he's concerned about your neighbor? What does God can do when he's concerned about the one that you're praying for this year? What does God do about the ones that are, find themselves without food or shelter or find themselves without a job or find themselves in situations where somebody is oppressing them? What does God do about that? Here's what God does, and he does it today just like he did it back in the time of the Exodus. The scripture says, first and foremost, God shows up. God shows up. How does God show up and why does he show up? He shows up out of concern for the oppressed. Notice what happens, the scripture says. He goes and he finds Moses. 
Moses is the one that God had, had, had um, reserved or God had protected in the little basket on the river. God had preserved him because he was going to use them. Moses is, is in many ways a type of Christ. He is a redeemer. He is a deliverer. He is one who is going to be used by God to save the nation of Israel. So he's much similar to Jesus. He was the first Jesus in the world in many, many respects. Although he was not fully divine, he was used by God to deliver. And the scripture says, now Moses, what is he doing? He thinks he's on vacation or he thinks he's in retirement. Because he's left Egypt, he's run away from Egypt, he's run away from the oppression of his, of his fellow human um, Israelites. He is now living in Midian, which is far away with his father-in-law, uh, Jethro, he's a, he was the priest of Midian, and he was a shepherd. He was a shepherd. Does that sound familiar? Jesus is the great shepherd. Well, Moses is a shepherd, and he's leading his flock to the far side of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Now, this is going to be a very important mountain because this is going to also be the place later on that God reveals his laws. God is going to speak and do some significant things. I remember seeing when, you know, before I went to Israel, I didn't know what this mountain looked like. It looks like a small hill. Could I just tell you that? It's not really that big. Our mountains around us are far bigger than the Horeb, the mountain of God. It's pretty much a, a small hill that is there, as scripture says. And there it says, there an angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. And Moses saw that through the bush was, though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. How does God get the attention of Moses? He comes in a human voice, speaks from a bush that is burning and that begins to speak. And Moses is drawn by this. Can you imagine you're in the desert, there's a mountain there, and you see a bush that's on fire. But you look at that bush and you say, something's weird about that bush because although it's on fire, it's not being consumed. In other words, it's blazing hot. It is burning. And the scripture says that the angel appeared to him from, from the, in the flames of fire from within the bush. And Moses saw that the bush was, not was on fire but did not burn up. And so Moses thought, I'll go over and see this strange sight. Why is the bush, why, why the bush does not burn up? Two things I want you to see there. First of all, the focus here is upon God's will to reveal himself, not Moses' ability to see God. In other words, God does not, you can't find God in your own power. You can't one day get up and say, okay, God, I just want you to show up like you have the power to do that. God is able to show up as he wants to show up in the way he wants to show up and reveal himself to us, okay? So God is doing that here in the book, especially in the book of Genesis, in the book of Exodus, we find that the Lord shows up in very unique ways. The scripture says that the angel of the Lord 
begins to speak inside this bush that is, not, that is burning but is not burning. And that this is what is called a theophany. A theophany. That's a long, big word for God shows up and reveals himself in very human ways. In very human ways. I, I, I came across a great definition of a theophany for you. A theophany is the visual manifestation of a deity to human beings, often accompanied by an auditory revelation. Theophanies recorded in the Bible are largely limited to the, to the Old Testament, particularly the Pentateuch and the prophetic books. So think about this. The book of the Bible is 66 books of the Bible. And, and when you study the Bible from the beginning to the end, you will notice it's not chronological, but there is some chronology to it. We have two sections. One is called the Old Testament and one is called the New Testament. In the Old Testament, God begins to reveal himself to human beings through prophets, through priests, and through events. Okay, This is prior to the revelation of Jesus Christ and God becoming a human flesh. God would show up at particular times in particular places. He would show up and reveal himself to them. And in the early days, in the early days of Genesis and, and, and Exodus, prior to there ever was a written law of God, there was ever a written revelation of who God is, we don't even discover God's name until a few verses after this. We discover that God begins to show up in very human ways. If God wanted to get your attention today, he could use God's word. He could use a preacher. He could use a song. He could use all kinds of different measures to speak to us. But in that day and time, God had to show up in real tangible ways, and they are called theophanies. I love what it says over here. It says, God commonly appears in such natural phenomena in this day and time in clouds, storms, lightnings, fires, um, there are many theophanies that are found in, for example, in the book of, uh, of Genesis. We have Adam and Eve hearing the sound of God who was walking in Eden. We have, we have Jacob wrestling with God. We have Moses' view of God's back. You're going to see that a little later on in Exodus. You have an angel of the Lord who conveys divine messages, sometimes turns out to be Yahweh himself. They make curious situations most of the time when we go back to this idea of the angel of the Lord, many Christian interpreters interpret this as the pre-incarnate Christ. That Jesus Christ himself is revealed as an angel of the Lord speaking and revealing himself in very powerful ways. So God shows up and God speaks and God begins to reveal himself to, to Moses. Moses is out just, you know, taking care of his sheep, doing what sheep shepherds do with the sheep. They, he's just kind of moving along. And all of a sudden, God speaks to him from a burning bush. Now, if that happened to you, what would you do? What would you do if you were Moses out there in the middle of the desert somewhere? You would probably do exactly what Moses did because the scripture says this. Notice what it says. When the, Lord, when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look. So what does Moses do? He goes, let me go over and check this out. Let me get a little closer to what's happening here. 
He goes over and he begins to get closer and closer to this burning bush. And the Lord sees him coming closer and closer. And the scripture says that he begins to speak from within the bush. And he says, Moses, Moses. Now, I don't know about you. But you've gone from seeing a bush that is burning and not consuming to now hearing a voice coming out of the bush towards yourself and he's calling your name. Joshua, Joshua. Kayla, Kayla. Robert, Robert. Norma, Norma. I mean, can you imagine? Would that get your attention, Dan, Dan? Scott, Scott? All of a sudden you'd be like, whoa. Let me stop here for a moment. Let me come here. And Moses responds, here am I. What is it you want? And the scripture goes on to say, do not come any closer. Take off your sandals for the place where you're standing is holy ground. Remember one of the things I said to you last week was one of the things in this series in the book of Exodus that we're going to see is you're going to see the revelation of who God is. God reveals himself for the very first time, not just as the creator, but he reveals himself as holy, holy. Don't come any closer, Moses. Stop right where you are and take off your sandals. The ground that is surrounding this burning bush is holy ground. Don't come any closer. Don't come any closer. Could I just tell you, God doesn't say that anymore. Do you know what he says to us? Come closer. You know why he says come closer now? Because he comes to us through his son, Jesus Christ who took your sins upon himself. And when he calls your name, he calls you into relationship with him. And he not only forgives you of all your sins, but he begins to make you holy. You become holy before Almighty God because you get in relationship to God. Your holiness is derived from his holiness. You don't become holy and then go to God. He actually makes you holy. But here, Moses is standing before him and there is no mediator between him and God. There is no go-between. There's no one that was going to cover up his sins. He is, a, he is a human being that is sinful. And God says, don't come any closer because if you come any closer, I'll have to kill you. And you'll discover all throughout the book in the, in the Old Testament that God's holiness was so powerful that there were times where people were, boom, gone. Because they came into the very presence of Almighty God. He says, don't come any closer. And he cried out in an audible voice again. I am the God of your father Abraham, your God of father Isaac, and your father Jacob. I am the God that has is, that is taken the nation of Israel out of bondage, had led them to the promised land, had taken them to Egypt. I have heard their concerns. And I love what Moses says here. And Moses, and at this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. 
And this is the common experience of human beings when they come into the presence of God at first. I've heard people say, you've probably heard preachers say this. If I ever went to church, the roof would just fall in. Like, I, can, I, don't, I don't belong there. I mean, I, I, I'm not like those kind of people. Because we have a common misconception today that in order to come into God's presence, we got to fix our life first. You don't need to fix your life to come into God's presence today because Christ died for you. He took your place. You don't have to hide from God. You don't have to run from God. You can actually come and worship him. You need to bow down before him. You need to see him as God and you're not God. He is holy and you're not holy. But God pours his grace and his mercy upon your life. Moses realizes that he's in the very presence of a holy God. By the way, when God gets your attention, pay attention. Amen? Some of you, I know recently, God has gotten your attention. My brother Scott down here, God's gotten your attention lately, hasn't he? My brother Ron back there, God's gotten your attention lately, hasn't he? My brother, my brother uh, 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 Philip over here, my brother, he's going through some difficult times. God's got your attention, doesn't he? My brother Phil down here, I know your story. God really got your attention. When God gets your attention, the best thing for you to do is say, okay, God, I'm all in. What do you want? What do you need? Where are you going with me? What, 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 what do you need to transform? What do I need to change? What, do I, what God do you want to do with me? Moses is just doing his thing. He's out being a shepherd. He has, he's like, life is easy now. I am away from Pharaoh and all of that oppression that's going on. I'm hanging out with Jethro. I've got my new wife. I've got my family. I've got my job. God, leave me alone. God says, uh-uh, I got plans for you. I got a purpose for you. I want you to do something for me. And so God gets his attention. And the scripture says, the Lord says to, to Moses. Here's what the Lord says to Moses. I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. I am concerned about their sufferings and I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians. And I can see Moses going, well, praise God because I tried to take care of it back there and they tried to kill me. Read chapter 2. Why is he in Midian? He's in Midian because he fled from Egypt. Why did he flee from Egypt? Because he tried to intervene for his fellow Hebrews, his fellow Israelites, and he found out that he was made and Pharaoh was trying to kill him. So what's he try to do? He runs away. He's doing his thing. But guess whose voice gets God's attention? The Israelites, the ones that he was concerned for. And then God comes down in a bush, speaks to Moses, and Moses realizes, I 
am standing in the presence of God. And his first thought is, well, finally, God, I'm glad you're on the job, finally. I'm glad you're doing something, finally. But then the unexpected happens to Moses. Notice what happens. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. Here's the shocking verse from Moses. You ready? Here it is. So now, go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Whoa, 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 whoa. I got my life. I've got a nice life. I've got a good job. I've got, I've got my family. I've got my routine, my familiar, everyday experience. I've been there, done that church thing, that ministry thing, that kind of witnessing to my friends thing. It didn't go so well. I'm done with that, but I'm glad, God, you're on the job because I'm not on the job. But God says, uh-uh, no, no. I'm sending you, Moses. I'm sending you, Moses. And where is Moses being sent to? He is being sent to Pharaoh, the leader, the head honcho. He's not being sent undercover. He's not being sent underground. He's not being sent with an army. He's not being sent with, with all of the resources of, of a nation behind him. He says, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of captivity. Time out. Hold on. Whoa, whoa. Really? This was the un expected voice of God in Moses' life. And can I tell you, usually in our lives, when we find ourselves going through life, everything's going fine, that all of a sudden God interrupts us, shows up in unexpected times, in unexpected voices, in unexpected ways, with unexpected callings. Chris Schwartz, I think you've experienced that, my brother. God shows up and begins to speak. I am sending you. And this is where we begin the greatest excuses that have ever been made by a hero in the word of God. Because the excuses for why it should not be Moses will come out in not only one way, not only two ways, but Moses actually makes five different excuses. Let's look at them together. Excuse number one, I'm a nobody. I mean, who am I? Have you ever said that to God? Not me, God. Maybe the preacher Maybe the guy who goes to Bible school, maybe the guy who's got all of the charisma can do it, but me, no way, I'm a nobody. Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Well, if it's not you, Moses, then who? Then who? 
Moses was uniquely qualified to actually be the one because he grew up as an Egyptian even though he was a, he was a Hebrew. He was uniquely called from birth. He, he just didn't even know it. God had been preparing him for this task. When I look back on my own life, when I remember God called me to be a preacher or a pastor, I said, God, I can't even speak the English language well enough. I still can't. I mean, literally, I've said to God many times, somebody else has got to do this because it can't be me. It's got to be somebody more qualified. Who am I, God? I'm from the kid from the inner city of Boston with no education, with a dad who died at 11 years old, with a mom and dad who didn't even graduate from high school, from the poorest of poor. Who am I, God? I'm a nobody. But God's response is, I will be with you. Can I just tell you this? If God calls you, he will be with you. Amen? And there will be times when God calls you that you will give an excuse. But God never gives you a task without giving you his presence. Praise God. Amen? Here's excuse number two. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? And God's response is, tell, God said to Moses, I am who I am. I am who I am. This is what to say to the Israelites. I am sent me to be with you. Now, for those of you who know a little bit about the New Testament, You'll be reminded that Jesus many times described who he was by saying, I am the good shepherd. I am the light of the world. I am the salt of the earth. I am the, the bread of life. And what Jesus was connecting was he was divine. He was fully, fully God and fully man. All within himself. And he's connecting himself. He says, before Abraham was, I am. In other words, as one writer put it, God is the center. I love what this one writer says here. God is the center of everything. The great mystery exists, he says. No one is certain how to pronounce. And this, this word here in Hebrew means Yahweh. This is the very first revelation of the name of God. And that word Yahweh is a, is a difficult word. It's actually four consonants with no vowels. It's God's presence. He has always been and he always will be. It is, it is God saying, I am the cause of all things. I exist because I've always existed. There is no, nothing that caused me to be. I am the first mover in everything. That's all wrapped up in this idea of I am who I am. In other words, when you go stand before Pharaoh and they ask who this God is, you can tell him he is the God that is true, it's right, who is ultimately above all other gods, who is above all and in all and through all. 
oh, that's all you want me to say? Like, wow. Like, okay. I guess that's enough. Who's sending you? And what's this God's name? The Egyptians had all kinds of gods. But I am who I am sent me. By the way, there are times when God calls you to go to talk to someone and you say, I don't even know what to say. Can you trust the Holy Spirit to say what needs to be said, when it needs to be said, and how it needs to be said? Over the years of my, my experience, I've, I've come to situations in church, in people's lives, and, I, and they say, Pastor, I wanna, can I meet with you? And I will take a deep breath and I'll go, okay, let's do it. And I'll sit in my office and I'll go, okay, God, you're going to have to show up on this one because this is beyond my qualifications and I'm not so sure what to say. And here's what I know. Every single time God has said what he needed to say when I trusted him. And he'll do the same for you. How about excuse number three? What if they don't believe me? What if they don't believe me? Moses answered, what if they do not believe me or listen to me? The Lord did not appear to you. In other words, what if they, ah, so what? Yeah, I'm not believing you. Who are you to tell me about Jesus and about God and about how God's going to show up and answer your prayers and how God is going to do this or that? I don't believe a word you're saying. Here's what God says to him. By the way, you're not responsible for the results. You can't change anybody. You can't change any situation. You are responsible to be obedient. And as you're obedient, the Lord says. But here's what God's response was. Then the Lord said to him, what's in your hand? What's he holding in his hand? A staff, a stick. He says, he says, a staff. And the Lord said to him, throw it on the ground. And he takes the stick and he throws it on the ground. And the scripture says, you can read this in chapter 4, the stick becomes a snake. He said, oh. He said, now go pick up the snake. And he picks the snake up. And it becomes a stick again, a staff. He goes on to say, take your hand and stick it in your cloak. Now pull it out and it's all leprosy. It's all, the skin's all gross. And he said, now take your hand and stick it back in your cloak. Pull it back out. It's back to right. He said, if they don't believe you, just do this. Whoa! I mean, it's like a magician, but this is the power of God. In other words, they are speaking at a different time. He's trying to set the people free in oppression. And he's going to talk to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh's going to say, who am I? Who are you, Moses? And why should I even listen to you or listen to your God? And God says, yes, do this to him. You know what the Pharaoh does? He gets some other magicians to do the same thing. He doesn't believe. There are all kinds of excuses why we don't do what God calls us to do. Here's another one. I'm not good enough. 
I'm not good enough. Moses said to the Lord, O oh Lord, I've, been, I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you've been, ever spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. In other words, I don't have the talent, the abilities, the qualifications to do what you're calling me to do, O oh God. I can't be the one who speaks for you on your behalf. I'm not very good at this. I can't sing. I can't be with kids. I can't serve in that ministry. I can't lead that small group or that Bible study. I don't, I'm not a very good, I don't read very well. I don't learn very well. I don't speak very well. And I love God's response. The Lord said to him, who gave man his mouth? Who makes him deaf or mute? Who gives him sight and makes him blind? Is it not I, the Lord, now go, I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. You want to see one of the saddest verses in the Bible? Here's the saddest verse that I think is played out in so many people's lives. After you make excuse, 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 excuse. And God, by the way, responds to every single one of your excuses with, but I say this, this, and this. Here's the saddest verse in the Bible. Moses said, oh Lord, please send someone else to do it. Please send someone else to do it. In other words, Moses said, I'm still not willing. I got all the excuses and all the reasons why I shouldn't do it. And I still am not convinced, oh God, please send somebody else. And here's what God says to him in response to this in chapter 4, verse number 14. You can find it in your Bibles, but I'll read it to you. Here's what it says. Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses. I don't know about you, but I do not want to be on the side when God says, you have pushed my patience to the limit, and I am now ticked off at you. How much? How long? How many times are you going to make an excuse, a reason? And today, our world is full of excuses. We have excuses for everything we don't want to do because that's what humans do. Let somebody else do it. Somebody else will do it. Somebody else will do it. Somebody else will volunteer. Somebody else will make the meal. Somebody else will witness to them. Somebody else will serve in ministry. Somebody else will take care of the babies. Somebody else will run the cameras. Somebody else will be the greeter. Somebody else will do it. Because I've got a valid excuse. 
Well, my friends, all of us have to ask ourselves if our excuses are really valid or excuses are nothing more than a way to get out of what God wants us to do. I'll be honest with you. I've made plenty of excuses myself. And usually, I regret them. Amen? Well, let's stand together. Worship team, come. Let's sing together a song of surrender. I guess, how do, you, how do you finish a message like this? What's the, what's the response? I guess I'm going to ask, is there something God's calling you to do or to be or be a part of that you're making an excuse not to do? Is there someone in your life you should be sharing your faith with? Are you making excuses for behaviors in your life that are, you know are not valid and that you know are lame? that continue to lead you to darkness instead of freedom, whatever it might be, you could probably look at your own life and identify your own excuses. Probably the biggest thing is to say, God, I'm all in. Whatever you want, whatever you want, you're God. You are the first mover. You are the I am. You've got my attention this morning, God. I need you. Surrender your life. As we sing, come pray. The altars are open today for personal prayer by yourself. Maybe all of us should be there. But let's let God do a work in us today. Amen? Sing with us. Father, have your way right now in Jesus' name. Amen.